You guys are so happy tonight. I sense such joy in the house. Um, how many got joy? Say amen. amen. And I recognize that uh, it's a uh, spread out tonight, but we're still family. Amen. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. I want to pray. We're, we're going to teach tonight on something I taught two years ago. But I think as the church grows, it's important to continue to reiterate foundational things that mean something to the DNA and the culture of this house. And what I want to talk about tonight is not some, let's go fish for something, Dev, so that we can have something to teach. This is just the second nature of who we are. And it's the second nature of what we want this house to be about, the culture of this house. So we want to teach about being a prophetic house tonight and what that means. I think this is going to probably be three or four, maybe five weeks. I don't know. Um, uh, Dev's got her little notes here. It's going to be incredible. Um, we're so different. When Dev preaches, Dev has 170 pages of notes. And when I preach, I have a note card or, hey, help me welcome our Athens family. I'll, I, I was sitting here getting in a groove and it's so good to have Pastor Chris and Amy and Pastor Devin and Ingrid, the whole family there. I love you. Devin and I love you and the, great, the, the family here loves you. It's great what God's doing there. We're thankful for the blessing of technology. So I was saying, when Devin and I preach, we're so different. Devin has like 170 pages of notes, and I have, um, seriously, sometimes it's a two, two words on a power bill or a uh, water bill um, that are a napkin that I've written on and found something. Chris is like, what are you preaching? I'm like, hold on and pray. I have no clue. Um, but when we both get together, I think you get the... Uh, you get the best of both worlds in that uh, Devin sees things so clearly sometimes that I'm not able to see. Um, and I hope that us teaching together for the next few weeks is, is helpful for this body as it relates to understanding our role as a prophetic house. I asked Chad to put up Acts chapter 21. Can we stand? I know you're tired. I know you've worked hard and, and we're going to get 12 inches of snow tomorrow and all that good stuff. But... Um, Actually, I'm not even getting excited about it. I was all pumped about it Sunday night. And we, it rained at my house all night long. So, um, But we are getting some snow tomorrow, it looks like. I know it's a Wednesday night. I know we're you know, uh, tired. You've worked, and I, I'm just grateful you're here. But I do want to honor the Word. And I want us to look at the seventh verse. Um, and when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Telemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we heard... We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. Everyone say Caesarea. They came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and they stayed with him. Next verse. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. How many know this sounds interesting already? He had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as we stayed many days, please note that phrase, they stayed there many days. A certain prop, prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Make the connection of all these things that are happening, and I think you'll understand why it's important in a moment. Verse 11, when he came to, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I read this today and it tore me up. <laughs> For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Next verse. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord. 
be done. How many want the will of the Lord to be done in your life and in our life? And so tonight we want to talk about being a prophetic house and building a prophetic house. Help us, Holy Spirit. Devin and I need you. We're grateful tonight for your help and your presence. I pray for all of our church family, Lord, who's dealing with sickness tonight. Let a wave of healing sweep over our people. Hallelujah. Come on. Just 20 seconds right there. Holy Ghost, heal our people. I pray tonight you'll raise them up in strength and that they'll experience divine healing from God. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said amen and amen. So let me tell you what I want to do, and then Dev's going to, uh, you can be seated. Thank you. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this, this text I read to you tonight, and, and for three or four minutes. Oh, thank you. Three or four minutes, everybody's like, you, are you sick? I, I have had a head crud, but I promise you I've tested negative. And so I came to church anyway. Amen? I don't like being out. If, if I can be here and I'm able to be here, I want to be here. Amen? Um, just to be with you guys. Acts 21 verse 7 through 14 is a period in Paul's life where he is rounding third, about to cross home plate. And this little excerpt that we put in here I think is vitally important to understanding the operation of the New Testament church in the book of Acts and how we who follow its paradigm and its pattern ought to be uh, acting and engaged in our day and in our time. Because there's several things that is said in this seven verses that I read to you that are so, so formational to understanding how ministry functioned in Acts and how it ought to be functioning, I think, in today's modern church. So a couple things. First of all, Paul and his companions come to Caesarea. Now, this is interesting if you're taking notes. And I think on Wednesdays for the next few weeks, you're going to want to bring a notepad and some ink pen because we're just going to slow down and really teach. And I, I want you to grab this. This is all uh, didactic. And then by didactic, by didactic, I simply mean it's teaching oriented, okay? So this will be very note oriented and very slow so that we, we can chew it up. Paul is rounding third. And he comes to Caesarea. This is not Caesarea Philippi that you find in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church. This is called Caesarea Maritima. And it's a bit out of the way if you look at it on a calendar. Paul and his companions going there was not a direct route. They did this intentionally because they wanted to be a part of what was happening at Philip's house. It's very clear to me. That everywhere they were going on their way to Philip's house was just uh, like a hotel to get them to the next place. And I say that because when they got to Philip's house, according to the scriptures, they stayed there a while. The Bible says they stayed there many days. Now I want you to look at this house that Philip had. And Philip brings, um, Philip has four virgin daughters who prophesy and all these people are coming to Philip's house. They want to be a part of the swirl. I call it the prophetic swirl. Other people call it other things. They want to be a part of the swirl that is going on at Philip's house. He has four virgin daughters. An apostle named Paul shows up. All of his ministry companions come there. Out of nowhere, Agabus shows up from Judea. And they all descend and converge in one place. Where? Philip's house. And this is the crazy house because this is where people are prophesying, right? We've turned prophecy into such 
uh, it's almost like we're afraid of prophecy because we think prophecy is weird. I actually think prophecy is the nature of the church. It should be uh, almost like normal in the church. And it's not normal in the sense that when it happens, because anything that happens from God, it may seem abnormal, but how many knows it's normal and it's supernatural. We should always honor it. Someone say amen. So I don't mean prophecy as normal in the bad sense. I mean it as it just flowed out of them. It wasn't strange for, for them to be a prophetic people. Now, when they come, so you got this prophet that comes to this house. You got this apostle that comes to this house. You have four virgin daughters who are in this house and they prophesy. Then you have a deacon whose name is Stephen, or pardon me, Philip, who lives in this house. He's also an evangelist. You have this convergence of all these ministry gifts coming to one house. And it's in, it's impressive to me that people wanted to be there because of something going on in the atmosphere. And, and I want you to understand that when you get uh, at the apostolic grace in the house, when you get the prophetic grace in the house, when you get the pastoral grace, come on somebody, when you, I want you to see this. There's actually the fivefold represented in this one house. All these people are descending there. Philip the evangelist, Paul the apostle, his companions, which we know by history were teachers and leaders and pastors. And, and then you have Agabus, who is the prophet. You have the fivefold converging on one house, and it is a prophetic house, and there's this swirl going on. And so I want you to see, and then, then I'm going to pass to Devin here, but I want you to see this. Because sometimes you see things in church, and you're like, what the heck is going on? Why would somebody do that? Like Sunday night, how many were here Sunday night? Sunday night we did a, uh, what did we do Sunday night? A, a Jericho march. So it was hilarious when I said, we're going to do a Jericho march. If you grew up in a church of, a Pentecostal holiness church of less than 75 people, you knew what a Jericho march was. But if you grew up like in a Baptist church or a Methodist church in your life and you didn't have never been in a kind of church like that, when I called for a Jericho march, he was like, what? People were like, what is going on? Let me tell you what was going on. It's exactly what happens here in Acts 21. When when Agabus comes into this prophetic house where Philip lives, the four virgin daughters are prophesying, the apostle Paul, his companions are there. Imagine how weird this might seem to go to Paul, take off his belt, bind his, Agabus takes Paul's belt and binds his hands and feet with Paul's belt. You say, I have never seen such weirdness in all my life when doing a Jericho march. In a prophetic house, sometimes the word of the Lord is accompanied by an outward tangible sign. And you may see things. I want you all to know this. You may see things at times and you're like, why do we do that? Why, why, does, why, does, why do we make that application? Why do we ask people to do that? I can remember, like some of y'all will freak out when I say this. Uh, my blood pressure rises when I say it. I remember when Devin had a women's conference and she preached about turning, God turning everything upside down. And I rem I'm not exaggerating. I remember 600 women standing on their head. If you'd have walked into this place, I am telling you this. If you would have walked into this place like I did in the middle of that event, I started texting people. I was like, I need some explanation what is going on here. And Devin like gets up under an inspiration, you know. It's like, it's like the new skin of Naaman. When we did Naaman uh, at the women's conference this year, Devin is, we're sitting over there somewhere. She goes, oh, the Lord just said baptize the women. How do we baptize? Well, I already got the, the pool filled. We're going we're to baptize a thousand ladies because God's going to give us new skin. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in my life. And there are some people who would see that and say, that's weird. I can't do that. 
But I want you to understand that a prophetic house understands sometimes that the word of the Lord is accompanied by an outward manifestation and an outward demonstration. And don't get so high on your horse that you think that that's weird because Jesus said you ought to be baptized. I'm not even talking about the service we had. I'm just talking about the outward sign of baptism accompanying those. How many of you have been saved? Do you, you understand and I understand that baptism is not a suggestion. Baptism is not really optional. I'm not saying you have to be baptized to go to heaven. But I am saying if you're able, you need to be baptized. Well, that's an outward visible sign that accompanies a spiritual revelation. You understand? Taking the Lord's Supper is very much the same way. So I just want to say this to you. A prophetic house is not religious. It is not bound by the fear of people. We are not trying to um, demonstrate a, 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 a gospel and a God that is like a lunchbox God that fits nicely into our compartment and we pull him out on Sunday morning for an hour and a half and then put him back. We really believe in encounter. This is a prophetic house. There will be apostolic voices that drop by this house. There will be prophetic voices that drop by this house. There will be evangelistic voices that speak in this house. There will be pastoral voices that you hear in this house. There will be teaching voices that you hear in this house. If you are addicted to one of the fivefold and you don't like the other four, if you are heavy, 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 in your pastoral leaning, you lean into the pastor, but you're not sure about this apostolic thing. You're not sure about this prophetic thing. I want to tell you, as good as your life may be and as manageable as it is, you're not running in total efficiency. Because the, the fivefold of God is not like an option. It's like the cylinders of an engine. If you take one away, you lose some of your power and your efficiency. So I want to say all that as an introduction. It took me longer than four minutes. I apologize, babe. But... Um, we, we want to be an apostolic prophetic house. That means we have to teach to that end. Because if you have a desire to be apostolic, which Devin will talk about desire in just a moment. If you have a desire to be prophetic rather, but don't have the appreciation for training and teaching in it, you can make a wreck mess of a church just like that. I have seen churches that wanted to be prophetic but had no Teaching and development and training absolutely destroy the momentum that they had. And they created a nightmare situation because you had a bunch of people, listen to me very carefully, running around calling themselves prophets. And I want to tell you what we're teaching tonight is not how you can be a prophet because prophets are not called by a local church. Prophets are given as gifts to the body and to the world as uh, by Jesus Christ. And Devin's going to talk about that. So say this with me. Say all of us. Should be, prophetic, should be prophetic, but not all of us are called to be prophets. Say this and then Dev's going to leap from it. Say, I am called to be prophetic. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily a prophet. How many can grab that right there, okay? From that, I want Dev to, to jump and go.
Yay. I'm going to just put on the hat of a teacher tonight. So uh, most of you know I run our schools next door. And this is actually a course all of our high school students take and our RSM students take. And we're just going to take it as a church over the next couple weeks about what it means to operate in the prophetic. Um, And I'll just jump off. I'll skip around and go to where Kevin just went. It's important tonight that we establish that everybody in this room can prophesy. I think um, a misteaching of scripture and maybe a religious mentality, I don't know if anybody else was raised this way, but we thought only prophets could prophesy. And there were maybe four people in my little church that could give a word and we just were all awed by them. Um, But the truth is the fivefold ministry is given to equip the body. And it is more important that I teach you that you can hear from God than me impress you by my ability That's to so hear good. from God. So and so we want this to be a house where we're not impressed by each other's ability to hear God, but we are seeking to hear God ourselves. So let me just jump into, there's a little chart. I'm, I'm just, I love notes. There's a little chart that will help us understand the difference between the office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy, because they are very different. A prophet will prophesy. But just because you prophesy, it doesn't mean you're a prophet. So first of all, what Kevin said, the gift of prophecy is a spiritual gift to every believer. The gift of a prophet is a spiritual gift to the church as part of the fivefold ministry. That means the office of a prophet is actually part of the governing body of the church. It's not something you can choose. It's not something you can train for. It's not something you can take a class to be. It's something that you're called to do in your mother's womb. It's something that you're created to do in your DNA. It's a calling. And it can only come from Jesus. The Holy Spirit gifts us to prophesy, but Jesus gifts the fivefold ministry to the church. So you may wake up and say, oh, it would be so cool to be a prophet. And that's not how it works. You can't go to a school and major on how to be a prophet. Most people who carry a true prophetic gift, they understand the weight of the call. And sometimes they run from it for years (laughs) because it's not a pleasant calling. Also, when you're looking at the gift of prophecy versus the office of a prophet, and I'll dive into this in a minute, the content is different. Prophecy is meant to edify. It is meant to exhort. It is meant to draw close. I know this is hard to believe, but prophecy is meant to be pleasant. The way that you can look at prophecy is it's actually the love language of God. Okay, We look at the office of a prophet, and a prophet as a governing officer of the church is meant to rebuke, correct, exhort, and bring the body of Christ back into alignment. But somehow we've taken that definition and we think, oh, prophetic words should rebuke people. Re- prophetic words should call out your mess. Prophetic words should expose you. And if that is the experience you have had with a prophetic word, you have not experienced the true prophetic. Okay. As a prophet, you know, we may have a prophet come to this house and rebuke our nation or expose our sin. And that's what the office of a prophet does. And they're graced with love to do that. But if you're in the altars of this church and someone comes and says, I have a prophetic word for you. And they tell you all of your sin, all your junk and all your mess. You have permission to say, I'm so sorry. That is not the heart of this house. And that is not the heart of prophecy. We we flush that. Yes, we flush that. That's another lesson. Everybody's got to learn how to flush a toilet and we flush it with prophetic words. Just because you receive a bad prophetic word doesn't mean you have to lose sleep for five nights. You just have to flush it and say, you know what? I'm going to let that word fall to the ground. And it will happen in a Pentecostal church. How many have ever received a bad prophetic word? 
See, and we're not all dying. We're not, we've not lost our salvation because a word that is not breathed on by the Lord does not have to have effect in your life, okay? But it's important to understand not everybody's called to be a prophet, and you probably don't want to be a prophet, but everybody is called to operate in a gift of the Spirit called prophecy. So I just want to, I know this is elementary for some, but it's always good to be reminded. Let me just lay a foundation of what is the prophetic. I talked a little bit about false prophecy, but let me talk about what is the prophetic. So number one, prophecy is a gift, not an award. It is a gift, not an award. So it's very important to, to realize that prophecy cannot be earned by good works or fasting long enough or doing, you know, five cartwheels and two jumping jacks. It is a gift. And we just had Christmas, and most of you, if your son, daughter, mother, father gave you a gift, they didn't give you the bill for it, for you to earn it. <laughs> they paid the price for it, and you just got to receive it. That is prophecy. So you don't earn it, you receive it. And you receive it by asking. Isn't that amazing? That's all you got to do. You need to be a believer washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and then you just ask. How do you know that, Pastor Devin? Because 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3, and we're going to be all in 1 Corinthians 13, 14, and 15. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Chad, can you put that on the screen? 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 14, and 14, that's verse 1. Verse 1. Mm -hmm. For he, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But listen, one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. There's the three-word definition of prophecy. There is not one of those words that means rebuke, embarrass, shame, call out. It is edification, exhortation, and consolation. So I just want to break down that the goal of prophecy is to build up individuals. Not to make you run from God. Not to make you hide from God. Uh, that word edific edification, think of the word edifice like a building. It means to build up, to take something and make bigger, stronger, larger. So when someone prophesies to you, you should not feel torn down. You should feel built up. Right. Number two, exhortation means to call near. If you have ever received a prophetic word that makes you want to run from God, you have not heard his love language. If you look at the heart of God through scripture, even with a woman called in adultery, he called her near. Even with a demoniac who was possessed of the devil, he approached Jesus. The heart of God is always to draw humanity close. So I don't care if you are a drug addict coming out of a meth house and you encounter one of my students in Walmart. They're going to prophesy to you and not tell you the obvious, hello, meth addict. They're going to call out the God-given potential in you that hopefully pulls you away from that meth addiction and draws you near to the God who can save That's you. That's good. That is how prophecy works. And then consolation means to cheer up. Yeah. So if you've ever received a prophetic word that makes you depressed, 
you have not received a true prophetic word. And I'm not saying a prophet might not release a heavy word, and we've always experienced that, but I'm talking about a fellow believer prophesying to you, you should leave happier than your encounter than you were before your encounter with and them. Babe, can I interject right Anything here? Anything you want to. Can, can, can we all acknowledge that sometimes the most miserable, depressed people are Christians? Yes. I'm not saying, I'm not saying all the time and by and large, I'm saying, um, so many times I have seen people who have good theology, but little fruit to go with it. They believe in the father, son, and the Holy ghost. They believe in spirit baptism. They even say they've been baptized in the Holy ghost. They read the Bible. They pray, but they're always heavy. They're always depressed. I I grew up like that. I grew up with that. That was uh, my understanding was always hard, hard, hard. And sometimes we need to understand that a part of the, if you don't have a prophetic house, then the members in that house who need encouragement, they need to be edified. They need the comfort and the cheer of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that element of the prophetic activity uh, of God activated among the people, the church can stay heavy and depressed. And, it, and listen, I'm not talking about just driving down the road and Conjuring up some thought. We're not trying to purport that you sit around and just think, I'm going to prophesy out of my own intellect. We're talking about what she said. Getting hungry for God so that you can hear him and recognizing he has something to say to you. And he might have something to say to the person that's sitting beside you uh, uh, in the mall. And he might, I know this is a little bit uh, extra for some people right now. And you're introverted. You're like, I can't do this. But I'm going to tell you when the spirit of God touches your life, you become a conduit and a receptacle receptacle through which he can flow and bring that same hope and joy and breakthrough into the lives of other people. And I want to tell you, there is a prophetic grace for those, as 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says, who desire it. Let me help everybody understand something that we're talking about tonight. If you don't desire to be used by God in a prophetic way to bring joy and comfort and strength to other people's life, let me help you understand something. You're not going to be. If you don't want to be used, you're not going to be. This comes to those, Paul said it, I didn't say it, the Bible said it, it comes to those who desire it. He said to desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Somebody say especially. especially. All right, thank you. Sorry, baby. So just flowing off what Kevin said, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are two different things. Um, and this is probably an imbalance in the church we have to correct. Both are super important. Like Kevin said, the gifts of the Spirit are what edify the church. And without the operation of the gifts, you'll have a church that is heavy, depressed, and not growing. However, um, I do feel like in the church world, we edify, we edify or we exalt the manifestation of gifts and we minimize the manifestation of fruit. Teach, teach, and so teach. I want you to hear me say this. It's important to earnestly desire the gifts, but not all gifted people are mature Christians. This is a whole class in itself, okay? <laughs> because I deal with this all the time in mentoring and in our school. We'll see a gifted person do gifted things, but not have integrity or character. Jesus. And then we begin to question, is God real? Is Jesus. the move of the spirit real? And I'm here to tell you, gifts do not affirm a person's spiritual maturity. I'm going to go even further. Take a deep breath. Gifts do not even affirm a person's salvation. Because the gifts of God, once they are given, are never taken 
Romans says okay? that. So how can you say that, Pastor Devin? I'm glad you asked. Um, because Matthew 7, verse 22 says this, that when the day of judgment comes, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, did we not cast out demons? And in your name, did we not perform miracles? This is a manifestation of gifts. And he will say to thee, those, actually, I never knew you. Depart from me. I actually never knew you, meaning I didn't really have a relationship with you. So this is like a wake-up call to all of us. We should earnestly desire the gifts, but we should not become so gift-obsessed that we affirm people and elevate people over gifts when fruit is what determines the maturity of a Christian's heart, okay? And you probably learned it in Sunday school, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, those things that don't glimmer on a stage, but they glimmer before the heart of the Father. And so for some of you who have had a bad experience with prophecy, maybe you have experienced people like me. They can read your mail, but they cannot walk with God. And it's important that we separate that and we learn that we judge people by their fruit, but we don't throw away gifts because of an immature Christian. Do you follow what I'm saying? And in this house, we need to honor gifts. But let me just set the record straight. We better be a fruit-bearing church because your gifts will be ineffective to a lost world if they don't experience the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Everybody can receive that? So we need to differentiate between that and know that prophecy is there to encourage. And I think we already covered that. Everyone can prophesy. Acts 2 and 7, the Lord, 2 and 17 and 18, the Lord said, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, meaning everybody can prophesy. It is not just the people on stage. It's not the select few. And it is my desire that this entire house operate in prophecy. Children can prophesy, sometimes easier than us because they don't overanalyze. And I think that was the words of Moses. It's my desire that all God's children would prophesy. I think we should set that as a goal for 2022, that this become a prophetic house that every member feels equipped to be operating in the prophetic. Um, and then, of course, 1 Corinthians 14, back to that chapter, verse 31, Paul actually says this, all of you you can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Meaning even in the church, uh, the church government passage that Paul writes, everyone in the church is able to prophesy. It just has to be done in order. It just has to be done at the right time. So just so you know, in case you're wondering, it doesn't matter if you've been saved one day or 10 years, you can desire the gift of prophecy. And I can't imagine what would happen to this city if this entire house became a prophetic house and people couldn't go to Walmart or the mall or a gas station without somebody speaking the love language of God to them. Can you imagine um, what would happen? So let me just define prophecy now. Tell me when you want to jump in. Um, there are two major words um, in the theological world that we use for prophesying. And I'm going to tell you those words and break them down. One of them is foretelling 
foretelling. That means to know or tell the future. Uh, this is what can be con confused with a demonic counterfeit. There's a demonic counterfeit for everything the Lord does. This would be like the fortune teller, right? That you go and you pay a fee and they try to tell you that your, what your future is. Now, we should not mistake the gift of prophecy with that. It's not for money. It is not on demand. It's not just so you can know facts about your future and not lean on the promises of God. That's not how it works. But prophecy is about foretelling the future. This is where our natural mind has to accept that a supernatural gift operates in another dimension. So if it does not have the nature of future, it is not prophecy. And I'll just jump ahead and say this. A lot of times in the body of Christ, we get words of knowledge confused with prophecy. Jesus operated in words of knowledge like nobody else. I mean, he just read everybody's mail. Um, and words of knowledge are a very effective evangelistic tool. But I need you to hear my heart. A word of knowledge alone is an incomplete work. Okay? What is a word of knowledge? A word of knowledge is just information that is true and that is present. Um, a word of knowledge is something that's happened in the past or the present, but it's a fact. It's information that is present. There's nothing future about it. Word of knowledge would be me being able to tell you your address or me being able to say, who was it that he, oh, Nathaniel, Jesus said, Nathaniel, I just saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, holy cow, you are the Messiah. You know, this is how Jesus did. He would just give words of knowledge and they open the door for an encounter with Jesus and the prophetic but if all I do is draw attention to myself and 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 really entertain you with my words of knowledge but I never use that as an open door for encounter it's incomplete so if you ever encounter someone who has a gift of the words of knowledge but all they do is call out people's address and middle name and where they're from but they're not pointing people to Jesus they're misusing the gift so Jesus good. always used the word of knowledge to break through unbelief to call attention to something supernatural and then he would follow with a prophetic word or he would follow with an invitation for redemption or restoration Can I, go yes. ahead. so sorry. if if a word of knowledge is given it's not futuristic it's a fact a fact that I don't know about you that God reveals to me about you but let's be real if you tell me my address it doesn't transform me what it does is it causes me to listen to what you're going to say next okay go ahead sorry that was so good <laughs> Let me read to you. Let me read to you where that happened. The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw again." Jesus said to her, "Go call your husband and come here." And the woman said, "I have no husband." "You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had 5." And the one whom you are with now is not your husband. In this you have spoke truly. Now all of a sudden this woman goes from offended to freaking out. Where did this man get all this knowledge? How does he know that I've had five, I'm working on one, but the seventh man has just walked up? That's a whole other message right there. And the point is the word of knowledge opened up her heart to conversation. And before it was over, she left her water pot behind 
And she went into the village and became an evangelist to the village so much so, listen to this, we never make this connection and it's so sad. The whole passage about laborers in the field and the harvest being ripe is to the disciples who are getting ready to go into the city this woman went back to. She evangelized and sowed the seeds in the city, but the disciples were getting ready to reap the harvest of the seeds that the crazy woman married the five men, dating the six man, but met Jesus, had sown. How many know we serve a good God? So the word of knowledge, as Devin said, opens up the door. But prophecy, and this is what the book says, prophecy is greater than all the other gifts. Why? Because it brings an understanding and a revelation. It's not just the presentation of knowledge. It's not just me saying, I know your address. Now, there are some people, I have been around genuine Jesus-loving people who could call out an address. I've also been around jokers who got on Facebook, checked your profile out, know where you live, and act like the Holy Ghost told them. And that's the, we have no fear of the Lord if we're operating like that. Amen, somebody. So, Knowledge gets the door open. Prophecy is, is, is uh, more beneficial because prophecy is, first of all, it's, we understand it. Secondly, it gives us next. Where are we going and what are we supposed to do now? Another example of the word of knowledge that I feel like operates a lot in this house, I probably have operated more in than ever. I mean, I might, I've had an address maybe a couple times or a name, but mostly it's a word of knowledge that leads to healing. I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that, where uh, someone will get up or on a Sunday I might say, there's someone here, you've been in a car accident and your right shoulder is hurt. That fact alone doesn't do anything except build your faith that God has seen you and what's about to be said next is for you. And then healing is released. Has anyone ever experienced that? It's a word of knowledge that is calling out something God is about to transform and the purpose of it is to build faith. It just does something different. I mean, it, it, it helps you have the faith to receive the healing you're about to receive. But anyways, forth foretelling is to know a fact of the future and to prophesy it. Then a second aspect of prophecy is forth telling. Forth so foretelling, F-O-R-E-T-E-L-L-I-N-G, is telling the future. Forth telling is declaring and causing the future. Okay? So I'm going to give you an example of both and both, and then try to explain it. Kevin actually just read one of those about Agabus. It's a different encounter with Agabus, the prophet of the New Testament. But in Acts 11:28, it says this. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. So he is foretelling an event. And it said, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. So later, that famine happened, and everybody remembered that Agabus had said, it and prepared for it. This is forth telling, meaning my words cause the future. And it's Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37. God looks at Ezekiel and says, we've got a problem. Here's the Valley of Dry Bones. Now you prophesy to them. You speak. And as you speak, it's going to actually start to happen. And he begins to prophesy. And as he does, you know, the bones come up, then the bones come together, then life comes on the bones. And then he prophesies to the wind and breath. Everything he says causes a reaction 
action. The heart of God was for the bones to live, but it was the prophetic word that put it into motion. And this is probably my favorite aspect of prophecy is when you can speak something and the atmosphere starts to move, the heavenly start to move to watch it happen. And these are the prophetic words you cannot afford to miss in your life. When someone speaks over you and before you went to that service, God's plan was not in motion or that answer was not coming or that that a breakthrough was not happening and someone speaks a prophetic word and in that moment, your current state changes. What God says actually begins to happen and you leave and something's different. Anybody ever experienced that? Absolutely. That is forth telling. And what's important about that gift is there's a responsibility on the prophet. Because the person prophesying, because if I have that word and I don't speak it, then somebody under the sound of my voice does not receive the opportunity for that change. And if I'm the one listening and I don't receive it, then I miss the opportunity for that movement to happen. So forthtelling is interactive. Does that make sense? And it's exciting. And you can actually feel it happen in the atmosphere. Anybody ever felt that? Someone will begin to prophesy and the whole atmosphere shifts because things are set into motion. So that's foretelling and that's forthtelling. Yeah. Can I say this too, babe? This goes back to me to hearing the voice of the Lord. And if you're going to be a prophetic house, it means that you have to have a house of intimacy and relationship with God. If people are not leaning into the presence of God, the person of Jesus, knowing God on a more intimate, personal level, then what you can have, if you're not careful, are people who prophesy by their mind or their own inspiration. For both foretelling and forthtelling only work if they are inspired by the Spirit of the living God, which is why what we're saying at the very beginning of this teaching is the most, I think, the, the fundamental building block of building a house of prophecy. You cannot have a prophetic house if you don't have a house that knows the voice of God, that don't seek the Lord, that don't read the Bible. And I've often said this, so many times we want to be prophetic but not have a Bible relationship. With, we don't have a relationship with the Word of God. And so people can just stand up and start foretelling or foretelling anything. And if you don't know the truth, you can believe anything. But there's something about knowing the word of God, knowing God through his word, leaning into God in prayer, hearing him speak to you personally. Because if I'm going to have a word for someone else, it seems to me that God would probably want to have a word for me and deal with me at times, not just encourage it. Sometimes God wants to speak to me. So you said this, I just want to reiterate that when we say foretelling and forthtelling, we are not talking about personal inspiration, personal ingenuity. We are talking about speaking by what we pray and desire and want to be the will of God and the voice of God communicated to us through us for another person. And we can talk maybe tonight, maybe next Wednesday about what happens when we want to speak and we step out and speak, but maybe we just missed it a little bit, we can talk about that too. Yes, we're going to talk about false prophecy. We're going to talk about prophetic etiquette, how to judge a prophetic word. This is going to be such a fun class on Wednesday nights, fun. okay? But I so want to fun. just jump into what Kevin just said. Prophecy is God's love language, not yours. 
You are simply a mouthpiece. And so God's love language is his language, and his language is the word. That does not mean every prophetic word might be a scripture, but it can be. And every right. prophetic word will line up with the heart of God in scripture. And so some of us may actually have a gift that is underdeveloped because we don't read the word. Um, and the only way I can know how to explain that is I could have a, a predisposition to learn languages well. But if I don't take a language class, I'll never know that. And, you know, if I wanted to give a, a word, if I just wanted to have a conversation at the Walmart in Guatemala, I would have to learn Spanish for it to be fruitful right. because Spanish is their language. And if you want to be a mouthpiece for the language of God, you've got to study his language. It doesn't matter how much you beg for the gift. You're not going to understand what the spirit is saying if you don't have an understanding of his word. So one of the number one ways to grow in prophesying is to start putting the word of God in your heart, memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture. And you'll find that most prophetic words God gives you, he will pull from scripture. Look how Jesus did. He pulled from the law and the prophets all the time. And so some of you probably are not so short of prophesying. You might just be a little word deficient and dive into the word during this hundred days. And who knows, you may prophesy the rest of the year. This is God's language. And you know what? Prophesying, when we say that, I want to just make sure to, to reiterate this. It can be as bodacious as thus saith the Lord, you know, we could, but it could be as, I don't say normal, but it could be as applicable and as, um, the presentation of it can be as much as me, me looking at you throughout the day, even and saying, uh, or, or if I didn't know you and well, I'm glad I know you girl. I'm so glad I know you. But if you were behind me at Walmart, and I'm putting my stuff in my basket and putting my stuff in my bags in the Lord because I've been in relationship with him all day. I've been in his word. I've heard his voice in prayer. And the Lord says to me, I just want you to turn around and tell that man behind you or that young lady behind you, she's going to make it. God's got his eye on her. I got my eye on her. I'm going to take care of what she's dealing with. Now, you may initially have a conflict in you like, what if she doesn't receive it? What if she thinks I'm crazy? What if you're stopping a spirit of suicide from from affecting her whole family. You understand what I'm saying? And I, I, th there is a need for increased sensitivity in this hour. We are dealing with some demonic stuff that could so simply be broken off of lives by just one prophetic engagement with a believer who loves Jesus, knows the voice of the Spirit, and just gives a two or three... Devin's favorite phrase, and it's mine, is you say, how, do, how long do I go? How do I know when to stop? When God stops talking, you should too. That's how you know when. You don't have to add to. You don't have to take away. If God says be quiet and he's quiet, I'm going to be quiet. Yeah, if you look at the life of Jesus, he changed people's entire futures in one sentence. And I am not negating wordiness, but I am saying wordiness is not always fruitfulness. Most effective prophetic words are two words, three words, one phrase. We have to train ourselves to say what the Spirit is saying and not add our own opinion, two cents, or interpretation. And don't ever minimize one word. Don't ever minimize three words. Look what Jesus did with one, two, or three words. And so pressure off of everyone 
to deliver a scroll and a book and a paragraph. It may just be one word. And I'll tell this story. Um, the author of this teaching, um, Chris Valentin, he tells this story, and it's my favorite. I tell it to every class. It's not my own, but it's just so good. He was at a prophetic conference, and, you know, they have these prophetic conferences. They're so cool. Everybody just practices prophesying, and everybody's prophesying, and it's, that's all that happens all weekend. And they called this lady up and put her in a chair, and everybody gets in a circle and prays, what does God want to say to her? And I know that freaks y'all out. We might do that on a Wednesday night. They're just training their ears to hear. And people will say things and the person in the chair can go, you totally missed it, you know, or hey, that was on target. And this woman is in a chair and a man stands up with all these other prophets. And all he says is, you have on a yellow shirt, you know, and that sounds so not revelatory, right? Well, the woman falls face first, slain in the spirit on the floor. He says, you have a yellow shirt. And she's like, but you know what? He's in front of all these other prophets and that sounds stupid. And so he starts saying, and yellow is the color of God's glory. And it's the color of the sunrise and the sun is rising on your morning. And he just begins to go, go on this yellow shirt. And the woman's not even listening. She's slain, right? So she gets up out of the floor and this is how prophets train each other. And everybody's like, can you tell us why you fell on the floor? What about that prophetic word encouraged you? And she's like, well, I didn't hear anything but the first sentence, but that's all I needed. My son is very sick. And I told the Lord, Father, if you're going to heal him, then today somebody's going to tell me I have on a yellow shirt. And this man said the exact word of the Lord, but he kept going and kept going out of his own personal insecurity. And so we've got to learn, don't underestimate you've got on a yellow shirt. Even when you're at Walmart, walk away and let God do it. When God stops talking... Stop talking and let him do his work. And don't feel pressure to produce. Don't feel pressure to create. Just let the word of God do its job. Okay? okay. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. And, and if the Lord gives you more than a yellow shirt, it will probably be helpful in some circumstances. If I told you you have on a maroon shirt tonight, then you would have a maroon shirt. But if, God, if you didn't tell God today, let somebody tell me I have on a maroon it wouldn't have mattered. So be led by the Spirit of God. Yeah, let's wait. Right. Next week, we will go into revelation, interpretation, and application, what you do with the prophetic word. But let me end with this. Uh, another cool object lesson about prophesying, and you can remember this, when you are you know, in your car in a drive through and you're, you actually pray, and this is what my kids will train students to do, ask the Lord what you should tell the lady when you get up there. You'll be surprised. He'll speak to you. He actually wants to talk to people. Um, but when you're like, oh, I don't know if that's you, God, or when someone's speaking over your life and you're worried, okay, that word wasn't accurate. Does it have power? Mm. Uh, this is how I explain it. If your words were the color red, okay, and when Devin speaks like, hello, Crystal, how are you? It is red coming out of my mouth. Those are human natural words, mm. and they really don't do much. I know sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words can make somebody sad, but they carry no real supernatural power like God-breathed words. But if God's spirit was the color blue, what will happen with the gift of prophecy is your natural red words will be overshadowed by God's blue spirit. And when you speak those words, it's not just you talking. There is power to perform that word yeah. coming out of your mouth. So I could actually get up on a Sunday and say, 
you know, God wants to pour out joy right now. And that's not a bad thing to say. God does want to pour out joy. But if that's not the prophetic word, it's red. And we're all going to be like, okay, woohoo, thank you for saying that, Pastor Devin. But if I get up and it's the spirit of the Lord prophesying that moment, God wants to pour out joy, I will say the same words. God wants to pour out joy and you will feel a glory wave come. People will probably start laughing because it's no longer Devin's words. It's what God is saying in the moment. And you'll learn to, to figure that out yourself, yourself. You'll learn to walk away and go, oh, I think that was just me. I didn't feel the Lord. Nothing happened. Not that that's always the gauge. But when blue gets on you're red, you'll never forget it. You will never forget the power of your words clothed in the spirit. And that is the goal of prophecy, not your imagination, not your own thought life, but God's thoughts coming out of your mouth with a power that transforms all who hear. That's the power and the goal of prophecy. Very good. Good place to end. Good place to end. How many were blessed tonight? Let's stand up. Can we do that? I, uh, I know we got to get babies and I know we got to get youth, but I want to pray. I want us to pray before we leave tonight. The Bible says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I want to I ask you a question. It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer it. <clears throat> but an honest personal evaluation. How many in this room have ever asked God to anoint you and to help you to prophesy? Have you ever allowed God to use your life, your voice, to be a prophetic coupling for someone else? If you haven't asked him, that might be the only reason why it's never happened through you. And it might be as simple for somebody as just saying, God, <clears throat> I want you to have access to my life. I want you to use me to bring comfort, edification, and cheering up to other people. Now, I don't want to be fruity. I don't want to be flaky like nobody else. <clears throat> but I think we all have to agree with the fact there's a lot of heaviness in this world. Some people are just wanting to know if God knows what they're going through. Does God know what I'm struggling with? Sometimes it's just that one act of obedience that you and I engage in that will bring breakthrough in life to someone that the enemy has sabotaged with hopelessness and doubt. Go ahead, babe. And I think as we ask for this gift, what Pastor Kevin just pointed out, it's about motivation and heart. If you ask for the gift of, with the motive of platform or impressing people or being seen, your prophetic words will always be shallow. But the deepest, most accurate prophetic words I've ever given are not in front of anybody. They're in front of one individual. They're to reach one person. If your heart is for people to know God and know what he thinks about them, if your heart is for people to draw near to him, you will find the gift of, of prophecy will grow in your life in leaps and bounds. And, and we've got to, as we ask for the gift, also ask for his heart with the gift so that we use it with accuracy and we use it with humility. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's pray. Can, and, and listen, I don't want to be like critical and I don't want anybody to feel <clears throat> unspiritual or unsaved. If, 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 if you're just getting into this, you're like, I don't know if I want to prophesy. 
that's okay. Just keep coming and let God. There's other gifts, yes. And, and it may just mean that God is ripping some religious stuff off our minds that has prevented us from being the kind of people he wants us to be. So, but if you're with this and, and you just say, God, I, I want you to have access to my life. I'm available and I want, I desire earnestly that you would speak through me to other people so that you can bring them, your spirit can bring them encouragement, edification, comfort, build them up. And I want to begin to be used by God in that way. I just want you to simply lift your hands up uh, in a receiving position. I want to pray for you tonight. Lord, Moses said that he would, that all of God's children would prophesy because he understood the power of the prophetic word of God. Father, we have no desire to prophesy out of our flesh or to flesh or from flesh. But I pray we would be a spirit people, the people of the spirit, breathed upon by the Holy Ghost. May we be the people, come on, pray with me. May we be the people that lean into the word and lean into prayer and lean into the Holy Ghost so that we may hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, your word says that sons and daughters shall prophesy. And I'm thankful, Father, for a church where many people have understood and embraced the nature of pure prophetic ministry. But Lord, I felt like at the beginning of this year, you were calling us to expand so that we see more joy, more comfort, more edification, more people built up, more people who are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And may this be a year where we are sensitive, more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit than we are the voice of depression or the voice of fear or the voice of doubt or even our own personal fears of engaging with other people where we let the fear of people become a snare to our soul. Give us boldness, Holy Spirit. I ask you, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to even in my own personal life increase the measure of prophetic activity quickened by your Holy Spirit so that I not just be a preacher on Sunday, but may May my life be consumed with being an obedient son every other day of my life, Lord. I want to be used to bring hope. I want to be used to build up. I want to be used to comfort. So, Lord, take our mouths tonight. Take our hearts. Fill us with the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come on, just thank him. Just begin to thank him for his goodness. I just pray right now, God, you'll, you'll take somebody... Take somebody in this room tonight, God, and just make this a very practical thing for them, even in the next few days. While they're standing somewhere, I just thank you. You're going to bring a word to them, a thought to them, a sentence to them that's going to bring life to someone who needs it. Give them the faith to prophesy because we prophesy through love by faith. And I'm asking you, God, that they'll not trust self, but they'll trust the God in them. And Lord, I just pray this whole house break out in a prophetic activation that pushes back the hopelessness in a city, in a region. God, I pray for Athens tonight that the Spirit of the Lord would just quicken our Athens folk. Lord, let them be a company of prophetic people, a tribe of prophetic people, a prophetic house there where the swirl of God's Spirit is ongoing and people are being pulled into the things of God. May they find hope and may they find a future and may they find destiny in the name of the Lord. Now, God, I just break off our people the fear of man right now. God, I'm going to do it. I break it off of you in the name of Jesus, the fear of man, 
has kept the church silent. And I just declare that God's got a voice in you. He put a voice in you. And it's not just to lift up a hallelujah on Sunday, but may this turn into one of the most fulfilling seasons of your life where you decree the word of God's spirit spoken to you over your lips. And may it bring, may it bring visible uh, uh, transformation in the lives of people. They're going to they're gonna hear it and you're going to see the transformation it's going to bring. You're going to see a lifting of their spirit. You're going to see smiles return to faces. You're going to see hope return to hearts. I declare over you in the name of Jesus that you're not just going to come to a church so that a, you can hear a preacher, but the spirit of the Lord is causing us to be a tribe of people who are hearing the voice of God. Somebody just lay hands on your ears and say, God, before I can speak, I need to hear, and I want to hear what you're saying. I want to hear. I want to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. I I believe you have something to say to my generation. I believe you have something to say to my generation. I believe you have something to say about the hopelessness and the COVID and the pandemic and all. I believe you have something to say, Abba. And I want you to speak to my heart, oh God. I humble myself before you. And Lord, if you'll speak to me, I'll say what you want me to say. That's what he wants to hear. I'll say what you want me to say, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll say what you want us to say, Lord. Have your way in our church, God. Let our church be strong. Let our church be activated. Let our church be comforted. Let our church be encouraged. Let us be built up. Don't ever let us become overwhelmed by depression, heaviness, and sadness. And I thank you that you're going to use that prophetic sword of your spirit in our mouths and in our hearts to combat the works of darkness. You're going to give us victory. In Jesus' name, amen.